We are uh, doing a sermon series right now, just a few weeks on our spiritual dynamic. How does the spiritual life work? How is it in motion? What is it supposed to be uh, doing? And so we are working our way through uh, the first part of this little booklet. If you didn't get one of these, they're available on the resource table on your way out. But this is a, a little booklet about uh, New Life Church and, and um in a few weeks, we'll have a New to New Life class, and we'll go through this booklet so that we can help people understand what our mission and vision and value statements are and, and how uh, we expect things to work. But uh, right in here, page like three-ish, uh, is our spiritual dynamic. And we have this diagram with the gospel in the center. Last week, we talked about how uh, the gospel, the good news about Jesus, is center of everything that we do. It is the center of the Christian life. It is how you uh, enter into relationship with Jesus and uh, enter into relationship with God and how you maintain that relationship with God is the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. And then we have uh, this diagram that shows uh, these things that come off of there, personal change, community, mission, and service. That, that is, that when uh, we uh, focus on the gospel, then like a flywheel powers an engine, when it turns, when you're working in the gospel, then we expect these things to uh, be products of that. And so the, the things that we expect, uh, among others, are service, personal change, community, and mission. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about that a little bit. We're going to be getting into, uh, worship, uh, into service, but I want to start with worship. When we come into uh, this place, when we gather in this place, why do we come on Sunday mornings to gather in this place? We gather in this place so that we might encourage one another and so that we might uh, reflect on God's word and sing praises to him so that we could ascribe worth to him, that is to give him worship. And so I was thinking if we want to talk about the kind of worship that God likes, if we want to uh, come and ascribe worth to God and tell him how wonderful that he is, shouldn't we then see how God wants us to worship? Right? And I have been to worship conferences, and I have taken worship classes, and I have read worship books so that we can see and understand how is it that God wants us to worship because there's all kinds of debate about worship. There's all kinds of debate about worship. In, in fact, uh, there's debate about whether or not you should have drums. There's uh, debate about whether or not there should be electric guitars. There's debate about whether or not there should be praise songs or hymns or uh, what should worship look like. Should you be standing? Should you be sitting? Should your arms be up? Should your arms be down? Should you be moving? Should you not be moving, right? All kinds of debates about worship. And so I want to look and see what is it that God wants for worship. How does he want you to worship? Romans chapter 12, that's where we're going to be this morning. Romans chapter 12, and uh, I'm going to read this to you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now let's get some context. The mercies of God goes back to uh, Romans chapter 10, when he says in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 8, what does it say? That the word is near you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, some of you have heard me say this before, but I haven't said it recently, and so I'm going to say it again. I had, been, uh, I had grown up in the church, and I knew, I knew, because I had grown up in the church, that I was a sinner, and that I needed Jesus to save me from my sins, that he had died on the cross and risen again from the dead, and he had done that to save me from my sins, but I didn't know where in the Bible you would find that. I knew the stories about Abraham, and I knew the stories about Isaac and Jacob. I could put them in chronological order. I knew about David and Goliath. I knew about the Israelites. I knew the story about Jesus. But as far as I have to believe that Jesus is my Savior, and then I will be saved from my sins, I didn't know where to tell somebody that I knew that to be true. I'd grown up in the church. I had heard it over and over again, but I didn't know where I would find it in the Scripture. And I read this, these verses in Romans chapter 10 and went, Hey! There it is! This is the thing that I've been taught over and over again. And some of you are going, Really? You didn't know? I didn't know. I knew... I knew that sinners had to uh, confess their sin and, and repent and ask for forgiveness from Jesus and that you, that would be granted based on his death and resurrection, but I didn't know where you would find that in just really simple terms. And here it is in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Boom, one verse. In fact, Paul's so good that he wrote Romans and you could find the whole gospel in one verse several times in the book of Romans. I just didn't know those verses yet. This is one of the reasons I'm so thankful for Awana because my kids know these verses because we go through them in Awana. But this is, this is uh, chapter 10, and this is just the introduction to chapter 12, because everything gets rooted in this. Everything gets rooted in this gospel. And I don't dare get into the nitty-gritty of chapter 12 and what comes out of the gospel as a byproduct of the gospel as if that was the main focus. I want to root it here in the gospel in chapter 10 because you can't jump to chapter 12 and pretend that you missed chapter 10. Okay? 
Chapter 11, you're saying, oh, Travis, you're, you're jumping straight from 10 to, to 12. Why is 10... Why is 10 the context for 12? Isn't 11 the context for 12? Yes, but chapter 11 just goes through uh, whether or not this gospel in chapter 10 applies both to Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews, equally, and it does. I'm just going to spare you all of chapter 11 right now and just say it does. It applies to everyone the same way, the gospel, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Therefore, he says in chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the grace of God, of God through Jesus to you to have forgiven you from your sins. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. This is your spiritual worship. Do you remember when Jesus was sitting by the well and he was talking with a woman and she was saying, are you supposed to worship over here or are you supposed to worship over there? On this mountain or that mountain, which is right? I've heard it both ways. Who's right? And his response was, the importance is that you worship in spirit and in truth, that your, your worship be a spiritual worship. And so I read that, and I went, oh, yes, God. Yes, Jesus, that is right. You know, we don't uh, worship here or there. It is a spiritual worship, as if it was immaterial, right? That we would worship in this spiritual way. Somewhere up here, up in the clouds, deep in the recesses of my mind or deep in my spirit, divorced from any physical location, But that's not what he meant. Because what he says here in Romans uh, Romans 12, 1, is that our presentation of our bodies as a living sacrifice is our spiritual worship. We are to take these physical bodies and offer them to God as a spiritual worship. It's going to get even more practical in a couple of minutes. But I just want to highlight for you that the use of your physical body is your spiritual worship. Okay, Your spiritual worship is not a thing that happens in your mind someplace. It's not a a thing that happens out there, or it's not just something that happens in here when we're singing praises. But your worship is the offering of your body to God. And you're saying, God, this is this body, my body, I give to you. I give my body to you. So present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is rooted in the gospel. This is that that, uh, Jesus came and died for your sins that you might be saved from the punishment of your sins. Therefore, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. 
It is not that God demands you must do this, right? That's not our motivation. Our motivation is because He has saved us, therefore, then we offer our bodies in worship to Him. We want to do it. He deserves it. It's appropriate to do that. It's appropriate to worship Him with our bodies. And that's why we do it, because it's appropriate to do it based on what He has already done for us. So He says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I, I love uh, this verse, but we're going to take it in context because I often have taken it out of context. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That is, I'm not going to have the same kinds of ideas, thinking, motivation as the people around me who do not believe in Jesus because I do believe in Jesus. And so I'm going to offer my body as a living sacrifice to him. Now, as I have heard this before, I have heard this as, as uh, we must think our way to God, right? I must transform my mind. I must do something different. I must think differently. And when I think differently, that will be pleasing to God. But very specifically here, it is in the context of the use of our bodies and so it is in the changing of the way that we think of ourselves as being offering our bodies to God that then our bodies will do different things. So it's not merely an academic exercise that we would uh, transform merely our minds, but that our actions and the way that we present our bodies to God will be different because we are thinking differently. If I believe in God, I am going to offer my life to him. If I don't believe in God, then I am going to offer my life to me. I am going to offer my life to me. I am going to do the things that I want to do. I'm going to do the things that please me. I'm going to do the things that I think are appropriate. And what he's suggesting here, um, maybe stronger than suggesting, what he is saying here is that we are to be transforming the thinking of our mind to be aligned with God so that it might be good and acceptable and perfect in the way that we present our bodies to him. For by the grace given to me, he says in verse 3, for the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has designed. Each person, according to the amount of faith that God has given him thus far, is going to align their lives and their thinking with who God is. This means that we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, right? We don't prioritize ourselves above others. We are not selfish and self-centered, but rather we are humble and we uh, think in the way that God wants us to think. We, we think soberly. We think appropriately. We think in the correct way. And then this is now where 
we really get into the heart of it. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. You see, when we come to church here on Sunday morning, when we come to this building and this place to worship, it does not have to do with this physical place being the place that we worship, but that we are gathered together with other believers, that we are gathered together as the church. When we go to church, we are going to gather with the church, with the church not in the church. Right? We're not worshiping in the church as though this building itself were the sacred space. It is a very good space. I'm thankful for it. It is a dedicated space to the worship of God, but there is no worship here in this place apart from the gathering of God's people together. And so we gather here together as God's people to worship as many members in one body. As many members all together in one body, we are all together as one, and we worship together. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. Each of us uh, working together, like the, the members of your body, your fingers working together your hands working together, your eyes and nose and ears and mouth all working together, your whole body operating together for a single purpose. And so when we each come in as various members, some of you being eyes and some of you being ears and maybe a couple of you being pinky toes, we are all operating together for the same purpose. We are all operating together, working together toward the motion, toward what God would call us to do. And before you think that we are disparaging pinky toes, pinky toes are important for balance. We want to stay balanced. We want to stay moving forward in the direction that God has called us to, which is toward Him. And so he says in verse 6, as members of a body all working together in concert, then we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us and let us use them. You see, just as each member of the body has a different function and functions in that way for the good of the whole body, so each person in the church has a function. Each member of the church has a function and functions for the good of the whole body. Isn't that great? We all get to work together. We don't all do the same thing, but we all get to work together. And so when we talk in, the church, in our church, in New Life Church, 
about uh, the gospel-producing service, what we're talking about is this kind of thing, that we are operating as members of a body in service to one another. And I want to be so clear about this, that, that the church... New Life Church is not a building. New Life Church is not primarily an organization. New Life Church is the gathering of the members of the church. It is the members of the church all together. And so when you are serving in New Life Church, when you are serving with New Life Church, when you are serving at New Life Church, you are serving the members of the body. You're not serving just for the sake of the facilities. You're not serving for the organization. You're serving the other members of the body. That's the reason for serving is because we look around and say, oh, hey, look, Look at all all these other people and the things that we're doing, which means sometimes we have formal ministries. We have formal service areas where you can serve in New Life Church and you can serve other members by serving in the church in an organized, strategic, planned way. And there are other times when you are serving as a part of New Life Church because you see needs in the body. You see somebody else, one of the other members with a need, and you are serving for their good. And that's an informal way. But it's serving the body. It is using the gifts that God has given you for the building up of the body. So though we have gifts that differ, we each uh, ought to use them according to the amount of grace that God has given to us. We want to do this as a way of serving one another. We also want to do this together. One of the values that we have at New Life Church is that we serve together. Right? We want people to serve. We don't want you to serve by yourself. We want you to serve in harmony and in concert with other people. There might be a time or two where you will do something all by yourself, but in the main, we want serving to be together. It is as the body for the body. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about, uh, you can sometimes do things with one member of your body, but it gets a lot harder. Have you ever tried to uh, tie your shoes with one hand? How about if you tie your shoes with one hand and your eyes closed? Now, I suspect that most of you are very good at tying your shoes. But if I take away other members and I say, you only have this to work with, just one hand, how good are you going to be at tying your shoes? Well, that's not the way I do that. I usually use multiple members of my body to tie my shoes. A very easy, basic task. And that's the way it is with all of the things in New Life Church. The way that we serve, we find even the easiest, most basic tasks are better done as a team when we are working in concert with one another. And so let's look at just a couple of the things that are possibilities of ways that we might serve the body. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. 
Now, some of you uh, have taken spiritual gifts tests. Uh, several years ago, they were all the rage. I don't know if people are still taking spiritual gifts tests to find out which spiritual gift you have. But uh, I was convinced that prophecy was not the spiritual gift that I have. And you may be convinced that, spiritual, that prophecy is not the spiritual gift that you have, but I want to point something out to you. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith, if we are using the gift of prophecy, we are to use it according to our faith. Suddenly, Paul uses this second person, uh, no, first person plural pronoun. For non-grammar nerds, what that means is um, us. We, together, all of us. The expectation here, I think, is that everyone has the gift of prophecy, and when we are using the gift of prophecy, we should use it according to faith, according to the amount of faith that God has given to us. And some of you are going, oh, hold up, I, I can't predict anything about the future. And that's okay, because that's not what prophecy is. By and large, prophecy is truth speaking. It is speaking God's truth to God's people. It is speaking God's truth. And we are all to be speaking God's truth to one another all the time. Everyone has this gift. And everyone is expected to use this gift. Everyone is expected to speak God's truth for the building up of other people all the time. Congratulations, if you came in thinking, I have no gifts, guess what? You have the gift of prophecy. You have the gift of prophecy. God has given you some spiritual truth and some spiritual insight that you are then expected for the good of the body to speak to other people. Here's another one that uses our if service in our serving. If we're using the gift of service, then we should uh, use, it, use uh, it according to the faith that God has given us in our serving. When you're a member of a family, there are expectations that everyone participates in the chores of the family. That's what it means to be a part of the family. If you are a guest in the house, you expect that someone else will serve you because whoever is the host will serve the guest. But when you're a member of the family, then you are expected to participate in the service of the family. You are expected to do the chores. Now, not everyone has the same abilities. Not everyone can do the same things, but everyone is expected to participate in the family. You are part of the family, and so we serve together. We serve one another together. In small, practical ways, in big, sacrificial ways, we serve together. I, I can remember going to Thanksgiving uh, dinners at a, a fam family member's house. It was a big extended family, and um, 
there was expectation that everyone would bring something and there was expectation that uh, everybody would do some of the cooking and there was expectation that we, there would be the, the setup and, and everybody would eat together and then that there would be the, the real work, right? The cleanup. And there was one of the extended family members that uh, would love to play the piano during cleanup. And I can remember other family members being a little bit grumpy because they did not feel like playing the piano was serving and helpful. And so the next year, there was a potted plant on the keyboard of the piano. As a subtle hint that when it's time to clean up, the expectation is everyone helps together. We see ways of serving here at, at, in New Life Church together. We serve together. We just had a work day where people came and they worked together to improve the facilities so that ministries could happen. We did some cleanup things so that things are presentable. We did some uh, repair things so that things function more smoothly. We do things as a way of serving one another. When we have uh, shared meals and hospitality, then people are setting up tables. There is an expectation then that people will help clean up afterwards. Put things away. Wipe things down. Because it's what it means to be a part of the family. There may be guests along. There may be guests who are there and we want to be hospitable to them and we have no expectations of guests. But if you consider yourself to be a member, a participating person in the family, the expectations are different for you. Then the expectations are that you would serve according to the faith that God has given to you. Note this, this is not because uh, the church demands it. This is not because there are strong expectations on you or you must do it, but it's still rooted in the gospel. If I find that I am not happy about my serving, if I don't want to serve, I need to go back to the gospel and say, what has Jesus done for me? Because of all of the people that could sit back and go, I deserve just to be praised. Jesus could sit back and say, I deserve to be praised. I created the world. I spoke it into existence. I gave you life. You are welcome. I deserve to be praised. And yet, Jesus in great humility came to serve and thereby give for us an example of the expectations of what it means to follow him. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, now suddenly we go, okay, maybe not everybody teaches. That's okay. But when you do your teaching, do it for the glory of God. Do it for the building up of the body. 
And there are many opportunities for teaching. There are opportunities to teach in life groups. There are opportunities to teach in Bible studies. There are opportunities to teach at New Life Kids. There are opportunities to teach one-on-one with people when you're talking with somebody and they say, I just don't understand this. Oh, let me see if I can explain it to you in a way that you would understand. Some people think that they don't have the gift of teaching or an ability to teach, and I find that they do have the ability to teach given the right subject. Given the right subject and the right context. Well, if somebody comes to me and they say, oh, hey, I really need help tying my shoe. Can you show me how to tie my shoe? Oh, yeah, I can do that. It's important to have your eyes open and use both hands. Over, under, around, and through. It's like life that way. We can teach one another, and, but when we teach one another, we are doing it for the building up of the body. We are doing it to encourage one another. I have talked with so many people that were like, I don't really do kids. I like them. I like them. I like them like Christmas ornaments. I like to look at them over there. I don't really do teaching. That's not my, I'm not really great at working with kids. I'm not really good at teaching. And then, uh, well, we really need some teachers. And so would you be willing to be an assistant teacher, a helper teacher? Would you work with youth? No. Do you know what's amazing to spend time in the classroom when kids and youth are learning about Jesus. It's amazing. I have seen more than one person who was very hesitant, but going, well, if you need a body, I can sit in the room as a body. But please don't ask anything more from me than that. That then later come to me and go, I love working with kids. Really? What changed? They are so exciting. It is so cool to see when they get excited about something and when they're learning something for the first time and they didn't know that the gospel was clearly communicated in one sentence in the book of Romans. I love to see that. If you're teaching... In your teaching, do it according to the amount of faith, according to the grace and mercy of God. The one who exhorts in his exhortation. You know, we want to be successful in ministry. When we are serving, we want to have success in those ministries. We want other people to be successful too. And so we want to exhort, to encourage, to challenge, to help other people be successful in ministry. This word exhort uh, comes from parakaleo. That's the Greek word for it. It it means to um, encourage, to exhort, or to comfort. So when when it talks about the Holy Spirit is our comforter, he is the parakaleo. And it's it's a, a calling somebody to something. Maybe it's it's calling them uh, out of darkness and into hope. Maybe it's calling them to some kind of action. Maybe it's calling them forward and encouraging them and just going, go, 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 you can do it. 
Did you know that is a, a spiritual gift? It is a gift to the body when you say, go, 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 you can do it. Maybe you go, I really, Travis, really and truly do not work with kids. Okay, here's a challenge for you. Can you be an exhorter and an encourager? Can you come alongside somebody who works with kids and go, 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 you can do it. You can do it. You're doing a great job. Can you come alongside somebody who is helping put away tables after a shared meal and say, thank you so much for doing that. You're doing a great job. Can you see somebody who's not working or not doing something and say, hey, I have this thing that you could do. You could come and serve in the sound booth. You could come and help with the tech stuff on Sunday morning. Hey, I have this thing that you could help with. Come on, you can do it. That's that exhortation, that encouragement, that thing that, that the body needs. There are so many times that people are not serving in the church because they're waiting to be asked. They're waiting to be called to something. And you could be the called to somethinger. Pericleto. We're going to call them to it. The one who contributes in generosity. Whatever it is that you have to uh, contribute, to uh, participate, to add, do it with generosity. This is one of the things that I love about this church is when we do shared meals. I've already mentioned shared meals a couple of times because I love them. And one of the reasons that I love them is because of the generosity of this church. I don't worry on a Sunday morning when we have a shared meal about whether or not there's going to be enough food. Because this church is generous in their contributions. This church, not the organization, not the building, but the people, this church is generous in their contributions so that everybody loves shared meals because there is good food and lots of it. I am unashamed to uh, heartily encourage or exhort guests who join us to come along and share in this feast next door. And why is that? Because you are doing a great job. You are doing a great job in generously contributing to the needs of the church. The one who leads with zeal. Do you have the gift of leadership? Not directorship. Leadership. When we're talking about leading, we're not talking about somebody who sits back and directs people. We're not talking about somebody who manages. We're not talking about somebody who says, okay, this is what you need to do, and then that's what you need to do. What we're talking about is somebody who is willing to go first. When you're leading, you're the one who is leading the way. That's how you know that you're leading. Because you are going first. And you're going, I'm going to go this way. Is anybody coming with me? And you'll know that you have the gift of leadership because people are following in, as you're going that way. But you're leading by example. You're saying, here we go, and I'm going to go first. And in fact, it says, the one who leads with zeal enthusiastically, energetically. 
You want to know whether or not uh, it's with zeal? Think about um, a whole library full of kids and at the activity that the, the library is putting on, the magician is standing up front and the magician says, can I have a volunteer? And if you've ever seen this happen where you've got like 40, 50, 80, 150 kids and a magician stands up front and says, can I have a volunteer? It's like, boom! Shoulders dislocating, hands in the air, pick me, pick me, pick me, as high as they possibly can reach. Enthusiastic, energetic, quickly. Yes, I am going to lead. Do you know there are times when it is time to do the right thing and I go, oh no. Well, nobody's going to do it if I don't do it. Here we go. Anybody coming? Anybody uh, want to pass me? I'll follow you. No, if you're, when you're going to lead, do it with enthusiasm. Do it with zeal. Do it with energy. Here we go. And then you can exhort, come on, let's go. It's not always easy to do the right thing. It's not always easy to do the thing that needs to be done. But as members of the body, we see it and we go, oh, that really needs to be done. And we take initiative to do it. We see that thing that needs to be done, and, and here's how you know the difference between a member and a guest again. A guest sits and goes, wow, that, that really shouldn't be that way. I'm not sure if I want to be a part of a group like this when it goes like that. And a member goes, oh, that shouldn't be that way. I better do something about it. I better fix that. Some of you have uh, raised kids and that's just the constant, you can take responsibility. If you see that the role is empty, you can change the role. You can do it. Here we go. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. When somebody needs something, when somebody needs compassion, when somebody needs your mercy because they are doing the things that grate on you, irritate you, wear on you, then mercifully and cheerfully have compassion on them. They need your mercy and they need your cheer at the same time. When there are people in the body that are hurting, they need us to come alongside. They need us to have mercy on them. They need a smiling face that comes along and helps. They need you. You can see here that there are a variety of of gifts. We've gone through a few of them. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's another list. 
In fact, as you scan, scan through the, the scriptures, there are all kinds of lists and ways in which people are identified as serving or helping in the body of Christ. But it really has less to do with what it is and rather than that you are doing it. Right? And you say, well, Travis, I, I don't know that I really quite align with any of the things that you just said. That's okay. Find a place to serve and serve in that way. It doesn't matter what it is. Just that you do it. The body needs you. The body needs you. When I was... Uh, in high school, I went to a church, and one of the elders would stand up every, morning, every Sunday morning and would say, uh, if you are not doing anything, uh, we have things for you to do. This church is a sucking hole of need. And I just thought, wow, if I were new to this church... Is that the kind of thing that I would get excited about? Wow, I want to come back to this sucking hole of need. <laughs> now, I would not describe New Life Church as a sucking hole of need. However, there are plenty of opportunities for service in this church. There are plenty of opportunities for service. And so if you're looking for some place that you can get plugged in, then you can talk with me, and I'd be happy to talk with you about how to get plugged in and where you might serve. And if you see something that needs to be done, then I pray you would have the gift of leadership and be the first one in to do it. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, enable us, help us, fill us with your spirit, that we might worship you in a spiritual way, that we might offer you our bodies as a living sacrifice in the way that we serve in this church to honor you and to encourage and strengthen one another. Father, I thank you for the members of this church who are participating as members of this church, and I pray that you would strengthen them for that task. I pray that we would operate in unity with one another, constantly and humbly deferring to one another, exhorting and encouraging and building up one another. And Father, I pray that we would grow in love for you, and that more and more people would come to know that you are the Lord of all, our God and our Savior. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.